Hello and welcome to episode 23 of Everything's 5 by 4 I'm your host Steve and this episode is I'll Be Whatever I Want to Do, uh, which is a Futurama line where mom tells Fry not to be a fool and yeah, he'll be whatever he wants to do. So anyway, uh, how this podcast works, if you've somehow missed the previous 22 episodes, I've kind of tweaked the format a little bit in the last few episodes. Basically, I talk about five subjects for four minutes apiece, those subjects being baseball, beer, books, soccer, and TV. And uh, yeah, I'm going to give a little bit more of an intro this time. I actually just had... um, there was no episode last week. I actually took a trip back home to the Chicagoland area, and it was fantastic. Got to see a lot of family and friends I haven't seen in more than two years. And for the first time since May 2019, I got to go to a White Sox game. And it was amazing. I got to see Aloy Jimenez and Luis Robert play for the first time and because Aloy Jimenez was actually injured every game I was able to go to in 2019, and at least Robert was in the minors at that point. Um, All they gave me was um, uh, Aloy had an opposite field broken bat single, uh, but Luis Robert gave us a five-star brilliant diving catch. And I'm kind of getting into the baseball already here, (laughs) but it was a 4-2 win. Uh, We had a club suite, thanks to my dad, kind of a one-time... spending spree on that uh so that was great i just wanted to get that out there again appreciate seeing so many family and friends um not just at the game but generally that week went to my cousin's wedding um yeah it was it was a really good time and i'm glad i was there rather than uh, sitting here doing a podcast but i'm doing a podcast now so <laughs> i'll get back into that and i already talked about baseball a little bit but i kind of did that to get that out of the way it was August 31st against the Pirates, 4-2 win. Um, nice to see a White Sox winner. I'm going to talk a little bit more about baseball generally here, too. Oh, and I also had a lot of uh, local beer when I was home, so that's going to be in the beer discussion as well. So um, without further ado in this very long intro, I'm going to go into baseball for real now. All right, I'm going to come back and just drop this in as a little disclaimer here. I more or less recorded this episode uh, live, or at least I didn't do second takes of a lot of segments. So it is about as unprofessional a podcast as you will hear. So, and that's kind of per my usual way of doing it. So please bear with me. Okay, so I discussed the game I was able to attend a little bit, so I'm going to talk about a couple things, one of which has been discussed ad nauseum, but I still want to get to. Uh, Derek Jeter, overrated, yes. Hall of Famer, should should he be a Hall of Famer? Also yes. So this is what I think is interesting about him. You've got a guy with sixth all-time with, 3,465 hits, hit 310 for his career, 14-time All-Star, five World Series wins, and a World Series MVP. Those are kind of the more traditional way of looking at his numbers. Uh, So, you know, the old-school fans kind of love him. He's a winner, all that. Um, His defense was really overrated, but I'm not even going to talk about his defense right now. 
What I want to um, do as a comparison here is actually to compare him to Barry Larkin, who's a Hall of Famer, a World Series winner, won an MVP award, does not have, um, is not seen as having the resume of Derek Jeter. I believe he also made 14 all-star teams. Uh, I'm not going to look that up. <laughs> so I hope that's correct. I might have to correct that later when I do look it up, but I'm kind of in a flow right now. Um, but what I mean by that, let's look at some of their other numbers. So Jeter's career wins above replacement is 71.3. Barry Larkin's is 70.5. Derek Jeter's OPS for his career is 817. Barry Larkin's is 815. Uh, Larkin has a 116 OPS plus, meaning he's about 16% better than the average player. And Jeter's is 115 for his career. And they're both right next to each other in JAWS, which is the rating system evaluating Hall of Famers come up with by Jay Jaffe. And it's worth noting that both of them are ahead of a dozen other Hall of Fame shortstops. So the question isn't whether Derek Jeter should be a Hall of Famer. The question is, is he one of the greatest all time at his position? Well, he's 12th in that jaw. He's 13th in that jaws rating. Larkin is 12th. And again, I think they had very similar careers, except Barry Larkin played in Cincinnati and won World, won World Series. Derek Jeter played in New York for the for the Yankees and won five. So that's the difference there. So again, not one of the greatest all time, but still a worthy Hall of Famer. That's how I look at Derek Jeter. And that's how I think people should look at him. All right, uh, so I want to get back to the White Sox here. Um, last podcast, I talked about Tim Anderson and how important he was to the team. That podcast dropped on August 27th. He's played one game since then, so I feel like I've kind of jinxed him. Uh, one thing I do want to say, though, looking up some of the Sox's most important hitters at this point, uh, Tim Anderson, Yohan Moncada, and Yasmani Grandel. And you may look at Jose Abreu, and he's leading the league in RBIs, and he's having a great season, and I don't want to take away from that. But the three guys with the highest baseball reference wins above replacement also happen to be the three guys who seem to have the biggest difference in terms of the winning percentage when they're on the field or not. Uh, so Grandel, Moncada, and Anderson all have the team has a significantly better winning percentage when they're in the lineup than not. And I've taken Tony Larusa to task a lot this year for a lot of deserved reasons. But one thing I can say is smart: the Sox have only played four games where both Yuan Moncada and uh, Tim Anderson have not been in the lineup. So he's giving guys rest days, but he realizes that those you know at least one of two of them has to be on the field. Um, Luis Robert, Eloy Jimenez, very important to the team. Small sample sizes, though, of games they, they have played with the team. Actually, the games away, the team has been better. But again, small sample sizes, so I wouldn't read too much into that. I do read into it with uh, Grandal, Moncada, and um, Anderson, though, because they definitely make this team go, and hopefully they'll all be healthy and ready for the playoffs. Okay, just going to pop in a little note here. Uh, Barry Larkin had 12 All-Star appearances as opposed to Jeter's 14. Also something kind of cool, uh, comparison point of comparison with both of them. Jeter grew up in Michigan, but he was born in New Jersey to parents who were um, from New Jersey and diehard Yankees fans. Barry Larkin actually was born and raised in Cincinnati and played his whole career for the Reds. So, you know, two kind of cool uh, stories there in another way they relate to each other.
Okay, so as I mentioned earlier with beer, I did uh, go back to the Chicagoland area and got a chance to try a lot more local beer, as well as go back to some that I have not had in a while. So I want to talk about that. Uh, first of all, I want to talk about Five Rabbit, which is a great brewery down in uh, Bedford Park, uh, just bordering the southwest side of the city. Um, it's owned by uh, Mexican Americans. And uh, it kind of uh, got a degree of notoriety and fame because in 2015, they refused to distribute their beer to refuse to continue distributing their beer to Trump Tower and create a beer called Chinga Tupelo. Um, <laughs> I'm not going to say what that means in English, but you can look it up. Um, yeah. Anyway, um, but, you know, they, they also make really good beer. Um, so I had the Five Lizard, which is a passion fruit wit with coriander and lime. And it was delicious. Um, you know, and I, I just raved um, last podcast about Unbranded, uh, which is based in Hialeah. Their, their salt and lime beer. And uh, compared it to Hollywood Brewing's Limon. And I think these all are similar beers in that they're they're brewed with limes. And it feels weird saying this, but I think Five Lizard might be the best of the bunch. They throw that coriander in there, that passion fruit. It gives it a little something different. Um, so that definitely was the, the beer of the trip I think I had. Uh, but I also want to give a shout out to Smiley Brothers Purple Line. Um, I'm actually uh, friends with um, a brother of the smiley brothers uh so one of the smiley brothers not one of the ones who owns the brewery but but one of their one of their other brothers uh if that makes sense and um you know their purple line uh which is based off the fact that the brewery is in evanston the purple line of the cta goes to evanston named that way after the school colors of northwestern uh anyway kind of getting into the weeds a little bit on uh, why Chicagoland area things are named what they are, but moving back to the beer, the purple line from Smiley Brothers is a Hefeweizen hibiscus grapefruit beer. That sounds like there's a lot going on, uh, but it's it's really well balanced, um, you know, and it's something that it's something that is because it's a Hefeweizen, it's a little lighter, but also something with a degree of complexity and uh, bite to it. So uh, yeah, that was quite good as well. Um, I had a couple revolution beers. Uh, I had, um, they were kind of, they weren't the, they weren't there in the Goose Island days, sort of the original Chicago craft brewers who later got bought out by Anheuser-Busch, but enough on that. Um, revolution was one of the earlier craft breweries in the city. Uh, you know, I had the Sun Crusher again, that's a summer ale, kind of has a juicy hops taste to it. Um, juicy IPA maybe a little bit, but you know kind of a that kind of kick the anti-hero is i had again i've had that a lot it's a pretty sessionable ipa um and i had the apollo hero which is a hazy ipa um kind of mildly citrusy pretty smooth on the finish um and last but not least another uh craft brewery in chicago that's been around for a while is half acre i had the daisy cutter pale ale which i've not had in a long time um, it's pretty heavy on the hops, but also really well blended and well balanced. And so it doesn't feel overly hopped. 
Um, so those are kind of the Chicago area beers that I tried last week or went back to and revisited last week. And uh, yeah, I recommend all of them for various reasons. Okay, so books. Um, and I kind of said last week that I don't generally read a lot of middle grade books. And here I am going to talk about middle grade book again. Uh, this one I'd say is middle grade slash younger young adult so i mean really kind of middle school but also early high school um maybe upper elementary but i think that middle school range is is a pretty good assessment so it's shuri the vanished by nick stone um it's a sequel to shuri a black panther novel and yeah as as that one says in the title it's about the character shuri from uh the black panther comics and the mcu film um so my background here with this book is having seen the MCU film and actually only read one Black Panther comic, one of the ones that Ta-Nehisi Coates wrote. Uh, but I do really like Nick Stone. Um, I'll read anything she puts out. I believe I've talked about her before. Um, you know, just kind of one of the one of the best YA authors right now, I think. Um, but anyway, getting back to this particular book. Um, it kind of, again, I'm about halfway through and am enjoying it. Uh, I think it's kind of, it's, it's pretty fast paced. Uh, you have some kind of cameos, I think, by people who, from people who, if you've seen them, see you movies you're familiar with. You have Okoye and Nakia and, of course, the, the Queen Mother. Um, but Tashala kind of steps aside a little bit. There's not much of him. And there wasn't really in the first book either, which I think is a good thing. It allows uh, Shuri a bit more space. And she's again going around with her sidekick, Kamara, who's a Dora Milaje in training. And uh, Kamara doesn't, um, I, don't, I don't know about the background. She shows up in the comics at all, or if she's just a unique character uh, that Nick Stone created. But she's not really in the, she's not in the movies. Um, but, you know, Shuri has a best friend. And, uh, you know, their relationship is a bit more established in this book than it was in, in the first one. So the plot is that there's these gifted, um, gifted girls all over the world who are disappearing and people don't know why. And so it kind of, um, there's something there in terms of what I've discussed before with Tiffany Jackson, where it is an issue where there are girls that go missing and you know they're just their disappearances aren't reported they're not taken seriously they're treated as oh she just ran away um so but i don't i don't think there's i think that's a that's a statement that's a little below the surface um you know again i might change my mind on that the fervor i read into the book um uh, but you know it's it's something it's more it's more of a comic book novel it's action paced fat uh, action packed fast paced as i said and, uh, you know, there's pretty, pretty good dialogue, I think, from Shuri. You get inside the mind of, uh, you know, Nick, Nick Stone's writing from the perspective of a teenage girl. So there's going to be some frustration sometimes uh, with Shuri's character. But I think that's also kind of a reminder that, hey, when you're a teenager, you can be kind of frustrating. And looking back at some of the stuff I said and did as a teenager, I totally get that. And, uh, yeah, so, but I would definitely, yeah, I'd recommend this book. 
I think it's, uh, I'd recommend anything by Nick Stone. Uh, she tends to ground a lot more of her work in realistic fiction. Uh, so this is kind of, I think, sort of a fun side project for her to do these these Shuri books. And there is actually a third one coming out. So maybe I'll talk about that as well eventually. All right. So subject-wise on soccer, it's just I'm going to throw a bunch of stuff at a wall and see what sticks. I don't have any specific thing really to talk about this this week. So I'll just tell you how things are going with uh, some of my clubs. Uh, Fulham continues to be a huge story. Uh, there was the international break, but um, you know, since my last podcast, there was another win. So Fulham now has 13 points over five matches, plus 10 goal difference, and is at the top of the EFL Championship. Um, and the only draw, four, basically four wins and a draw, the only draw was in an opening day match versus Middlesbrough that uh, Fulham really dominated. So... Um, in terms of Fulham history, unbeaten in the first five league matches, well, you go back to 2016-2017 uh, when Fulham reached and lost to the promotion playoffs. And in 2010-2011, uh, finished eighth in the Premier League, but there were four draws in there. So the last time Fulham were unbeaten and there were four wins in the first five, it was in 2000 and 2001 when Fulham opened the Division I season, a.k.a. currently the EFL Championship, with 11 straight wins and went on to a 101-point season, the fourth-highest total ever in the second division. At the time, it was a record and a league title. So, you know, looking pretty good. I don't want to get my hopes up too high because it's Fulham, but hey, can't ask for much more thus far. Uh, in terms of Chicago teams, uh, I'm going to get there. It's it's kind of a mixed bag. The Red Stars have 25 points, are in fifth place, uh, which is a playoff spot. They're playing tonight, so by the time this comes out, there might be a result, but I'm, as I'm recording it, there's not. Uh, but the Red Stars are also only a game in hand over the three. three they, um, they're ahead of, but don't have a game in hand over the three teams trailing them. So it's all pretty tight there. Um, you know, and the NWSL is a pretty fun league to follow, I think. Um, I follow teams more than leagues, as I've mentioned, but hey, you could you could definitely do worse than than watching NWSL uh, randomly. Um, so the fire, um, kind of the less said the better, but hey, 11 points over seven August matches, that's been a lot better than they've been doing. Three wins and a, two draws in there. Uh, definitely beats 12 points over the first 15 matches of the season. Uh, but seven points and significant goal difference behind the Red Bulls for the final Eastern Conference playoff spot. I don't think it's going to happen, but at least the fire are interesting to watch again. Uh, Chicago House are at the foot of the NISA table, but only after five games, only two points and goal difference away from fifth, uh, top half of the league. Um, also, I was planning on possibly going to a game when I went home. However, uh that day it was the it was the day i arrived my flight was early hung out with family most of the day and pretty much took a nap instead of going to the match uh detroit city ended up winning that one one nil uh detroit city's top of the league so you know it's pretty decent display uh but you know maybe next year i'll get out to a house match all right uh just a couple notes in europe uh i, I think i spoke about Villarreal and venezia last week um, last podcast, I should say, uh, St. Pauli is all the way up in fourth place. 
uh, 10 points over four matches and a plus four goal difference. Actually, even essentially with Dynamo Dresden for third, which is a promotion playoff place. Uh, AFC Wimbledon is 10th, nine points over six matches, 11 goals for plus two goal difference. What's interesting about that is it is the exact same stats as MK Dons. And uh, that's that's pretty much it for soccer. That went pretty quick. And move on to TV now. So, so far, every single one of um, these segments has actually been over four minutes. But I think the longest one was like four minutes and 20 seconds. So I'm not going over by much, but, you know, I'm cheating a little bit. So TV, yet again, I didn't really watch any Futurama. So, again, I've kind of fallen out of that rewatching the entire series. I might get back to that at a later date. I might not. Uh, it's my podcast. Don't hold me to anything. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad I can actually end up finding the time to record one. All right. But what I do want to talk about, and I'm a few episodes behind, so it, it doesn't really contain spoilers if you're watching the show, but... The first episode of Riverdale after the summer break, which is interestingly not a new season, but, you know, it is what it is. And I think it's interesting, though, I finally watched that. It is the Hiram Lodge origin story. And I always love a good origin story, uh, whether it's a rapper talking about their uh, how they got their start or just a film or a TV show focusing on it or a book. Um, there's just a lot of, uh, a lot of interesting things you can do with a character. So the Hiram Lodge origin story, uh, what makes it interesting is you kind of had the, um, sort of Easter egg cameo type of thing where you had characters playing their parents in old Riverdale, or I should say actors and actresses doing that. And I'm guessing even though most of them only got a couple lines, they sort of enjoyed that and probably enjoyed the break. Uh, so getting into the origin story though, what was interesting is, uh, Mark Consuelos, his son actually played the young version of himself and he played, uh, Hiram's father. So that in of itself just brings, brings out some very interesting things. Uh, as I mentioned in the previous podcast, I just finished, uh, I was rewatching Shit's Creek, which I just finished. And um, the ending has the same impact as before. Um, I, I could watch it a third time, honestly. <laughs> Just a really fantastic show. Um, so, um, but anyway, back to back to the Hiram Lodge origin story uh, and its relation to Shit's Creek. Uh, I kind of got lost on a tangent there for a second. But in Shit's Creek, you have Johnny Rose played by Eugene Levy. And uh, David Rose, played by Daniel Levy, his real-life son, a real-life father and son playing a real-life father and son. And you had that in this episode of Riverdale, which just, the difference being that um, Johnny and David in Schitt's Creek, you, you have a lot of awkward and embarrassing moments, but you, you see the love there. You don't see David really telling off his dad other than rolling his eyes and just being embarrassed by him. But you see young Hiram... Um, telling off at this at this point known as Jaime Luna, um, which is also part of part of how he got his his name and how he why he changed his name is is in there. 
but you see him telling off his father. So it's a real life son telling off his father and just a lot of anger and animosity there. And it just makes for a really interesting episode besides finding out how Hiram became the way he did and became so hardened to the world. Uh, so, you know, I'd, I'd say it's, it's one of the better episodes of Riverdale I've seen in quite a while. There wasn't the level of absurdity and suspension of disbelief that's needed in a lot of episodes. Uh, generally, um, it was just, it was just good television and kind of compelling to see, uh, those actors taking on that um, those roles. All right, and that does it for another episode of Everything's 5 by 4 Once again, thank you for everyone who's listening. Um, I'm actually really surprised looking at the episode metrics. I don't have a lot of listeners, but they seem to be listening from all over the country. Um, don't know if people are just using weird people I know are just using weird VPNs or what, um, or if I'm actually getting people who don't know me listening. Uh, but either way, thank you for listening. Uh, there's not a lot of you, but hey, I'll take any listeners that I can. Um, if you want to email me, tell me you like the show, tell me you hated the show, uh, that for some reason you hate listen to for half an hour. <laughs> You can feel free to do that at everything's five by four at gmail.com. That's everything's no apostrophe five X four at gmail.com. And again, thank you for listening. Uh, you know, I'm going to be out of town again next weekend. So it'll probably be the 24th that another episode drops. So I'm kind of hitting the two week mark forever than the weekly one nowadays. But again, thank you for listening, and as always, keep everything 5x4. Bye.